a beautiful day, and it's especially a special day because we do know that God has promised to be present in this space. You know, we're going to hear more about that, but the church is more than an idea, or it's certainly more than an invisible thing that some people talk about. It's a place, it's a people, and the church is also the temple of God. And so if you've come here, maybe you're visiting, I hope that you appreciate that what we believe here is that we're just not here for an event. We are here to meet, really to meet with the living God, your creator, and also our redeemer. And he will be present in this place as carefully choreographed and mediated through the means of grace that he's given us in this church. We're especially uh, eager to welcome this day uh, Reverend Douglas Kelly. Uh, he is uh, most famous because he is Patrick's dad. Uh, and and uh, Lucas's grandfather and the other children, but we also uh, know him. You probably don't know that you know him, but uh, many of you are familiar with this little phrase that I use in a theology class describing prayer as the antecedent condition of God's blessings upon us. Well, that's his words. He wrote a nice little book, Why Pray If God is Sovereign, and introduced me as a long time ago to a, a man named uh, B. Uh, Palmer, and, uh, and he had wrote a great theology of prayer, and it's interesting that without even prompting, uh, Reverend Kelly will be preaching on prayer this morning. So we're grateful to have you with us, and it's a real honor to have you preach the Word of God. At this point now, what I'd like to do is, is just invite you to take a moment. I know it's been a busy week, lots is happening, but, you know, we really want to s- stop and push the recenter button in our hearts and prepare for the great event that God is going to meet with us now. So let's prepare ourselves for worship. Our Holy Father, we come knowing that we are broken, that we tend to wander, that we tend to be forgetful of you and all the great blessings of our salvation. We come to you acknowledging, Lord, that that we forget you and how it is that in your great sovereign grace that you are active in our lives, mostly times when we don't even know it or acknowledge it. So Father, we come now and we hunger for your presence. We hunger for that kind of spiritual power that is not of this world, a power that does not come to us by wealth, by political influence, by academic knowledge a power that comes to us by the very and real mediatorial presence of Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And so with the Apostle Paul, we pray that you would now enliven us, vivify your people, this church. Would you come, would you please come and make this your place of habitation, your holy temple. 
We pray that you would speak into our hearts. We pray that you would establish your kingdom in our midst. And we pray, Lord, that Jesus Christ, who is not a mere sectarian God of one east or west, of one nation state to another, but Lord, we pray that he, the universal Lord of the world, would be exalted in him alone. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. And I invite you to stand with me. God is here. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
be seated. You know, it's the strangest thing, the way that, that Paul describes the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news. He describes it as, as always, of course, targeting and focusing on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet Christ, in our relationship to him, is described as both Christ our head and Christ our body. Now, that may sound strange to you because, of course, Christ's body isn't on earth. Or is it? You see, when he speaks of Christ the head, he's talking about Christ the covenant executor. And in Ephesians 1, he describes these amazing benefits that come to us by virtue of Christ being our covenant executor. Someone who executes a covenant that God has made with his church, received by grace through faith alone. How we've been redeemed by his blood, atonement for our sins, on and on it goes. And this is how it is that we understand Christianity most often, as participating in believing in Christ, our covenant head, who with his death on the cross executed a covenant wherein we can be forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. But that would be only the half the story. You see, Paul describes him as also our body. Now, think of it this way. What would it be to have a relationship with Christ without some place, some real flesh, to partake of him? I mean, where would the power be? Where would the heat be? If, if Christ our head, our covenant head, the word proclaimed and preached through the gospel is the light of the gospel, then we would be absent the heat of the gospel. We would be absent that, that ebb and flow, that flesh on flesh kind of relationship with Christ. And that is why it says then, in the end of chapter 1, how he is also our body. But it begs the question, how then is he our body? Well, he makes it quite clear. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. There it is. There's a mystery. The church, in mystic communion with Christ who is in heaven, becomes the body of Christ. And he describes it in this way, the fullness of him, the fullness of Christ. That means the totalness of Christ who fills all in all. About this body, he describes how it is that that we, through this participation of Christ in his body, the church, how it is that we are given wisdom and revelation and knowledge, how our eyes and our hearts are enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which he is called that we might persevere in that hope, that we would therefore experience the, quote, immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in us through Christ. You see, at this point in the service, we need to remember that Christ's body is glorified in heaven. And yet in this mystical communion that Christ gave us through the Holy Spirit, Uniting Christ to the church in the flesh and blood of a local place and people. That we now have a mystic communion. Our 
body to the glorified body of Christ in heaven. Always distinct, but by grace through faith alone, never separate. Christ's glorified body and his body on earth. I hope you appreciate what just happened here. This means to say that what we're about to celebrate is not just an appendage or an epilogue to the gospel. We are doing the gospel right now. We are bringing people in to a local place and with a local people that have a unique relationship to Jesus Christ as part of the gospel. A relationship mediated by the Holy Spirit. We are here to remember our baptisms even as we enter one into our church through baptism. We celebrate today in infant baptism how it was that God decreed that a young child would be born into the specific people of family we know as the Kellys into their circumstances, Kellys, every one of them, he decreed it, into the circumstance of this church, every one of you, he decreed it, God decrees, we see that in Psalms 139, how this child was fearfully and wonderfully made, and how there's never a time in this child's life as a covenant child where he will be separate from God's presence, and that presence is made good vis-a-vis this child's being brought and engrafted in, and that's the word I'm going to use here, engrafted into the body of Christ. To be sure, we await the day where this, the power that, that we read about in this passage, the wisdom that's unto salvation, all the things that Paul talks about that happens ordinarily in, with, and through the life of the church and its means of grace, we await confirmation of that. We do believe in conversion here. And yet, the presumption is that if God, in his infinite wisdom, decreed this child, Lucas, into this place, the church of Jesus Christ, as part of his birthright, the presumption is that ordinarily, but not necessarily, not necessarily immediately, but ordinarily, this child will be raised with the means of grace wherein this child will participate in the full salvation of God. Isn't that cool? There is something big deal going on right here. And so I'm going to begin this great event in asking us to remember Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember Jesus Christ and him raised on the third day. Remember Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And remember that these are the days that Christ envisioned as the greater days, wherein Christ's body is not just at one place at one time, but is in a place united to the body of a people wherever Christ is proclaimed in the gospel. Remember your baptism. There are some children here that were baptized in this church and maybe other churches. Remember your baptism. The power that God brought you through that baptism to hear the gospel, to participate in the body of Christ, and yet we await your own and personal Profession of faith as confirmation wherein you'll be entered into a full communion at the table. And I'm asking you, kids, if you're one of those I'm talking to, why? What stops you? 
Is it that you think that you're not good enough now? Well, you know what we would say to that if you've been raised in this church. That's the criteria, that you know that you're not good enough. We remember it every time we come to the table. So that we put our faith not in ourselves and our own performance, but we put our faith on Jesus Christ and his performance. That's what we remember. Remember your baptism, those who have been baptized in her now, participating in the full communion of Christ through, through profession of faith. Remember who you are and your identity. That fundamentally who you are when you go out to work tomorrow morning is you are the body of Christ. Wow. You are Christ in the world. Not necessarily, not necessarily immediately, not infallibly. I'll put a lot of qualifications on it. But that's who we are. And if you're here and you haven't been baptized and or you've been away from the church for a while, well, I want to hear, tell you very clearly, you're, you're in a great place. Uh, it, it, you don't have to perform anything here. You can be real. You can be honest about your questions. You see, this is not a church that celebrates you getting good enough to do anything. It celebrates that Christ is good enough. And that's all that matters. So I want to encourage you to just consider, to open your mind if the possibility exists that there is a God, your creator, that this God has, over thousands of years, carefully choreographed that this day would be here for you. That you would hear the gospel proclaimed, Jesus Christ, him crucified. That you would hear the good news that there is a people, there is a family of God, and Christ is in the midst of them, and it's open to you as well. With that said, let's now begin to enter into the baptismal ritual wherein we're going to remember with the very water that we place on this child's head, we remember that this water represents a great judgment ordeal. Peter tells us that this water is, is likened unto the water, the image of the Red Sea and the flood, both of which were judgment ordeals. And you're going, whoa, Pastor, why are you doing that then? Because it's a reminder that everyone in this room Everyone is going to be held to an account. And here's the thing. You can be baptized in that water of judgment without a covenant head, as was Moses and Noah in their day. And your destiny is clear as to be something akin to Egypt and the people who laughed at Noah. Or... You can put your hope and faith in the covenant headship of Christ who executes for you this covenant that you, therefore, can be saved by grace through faith alone, not of yourselves, the free gift of God. Let's enter into our baptism again through confession and faith. Would you join me? If you want to take a kneeler, you can. going to let us first confess our sins together. Remember that we are a body and that our sins, whatever they are, have an impact on one another. Let us therefore confess our sins to God our Father. Lord Jesus, we have sinned times without number and been guilty of pride and unbelief. 
than of neglect to seek you in our daily lives, our sins and shortcomings. That's with a list of accusations. But we thank you that you will not stand against us, for all have been laid on Christ. Deliver us from every evil habit, every interest of former sins, everything that dims the brightness of your grace in us, everything that presents us from taking delight in you. Amen. Let's now take that and make it more concrete privately as we confess our particular sins to God. Remembering that all sin derives from the ultimate, original sin of rejecting God. people of God in Acts chapter 2 had heard the gospel proclaimed how it is that we can be saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And they came to Peter and they said, what must we do then to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent, that is to confess your sins, which is to put your faith in on Christ. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remembering the great covenant that God had made once with Abraham and his children, he applies it now to the gospel. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. It's very clear. There's no conditions here except to repent and join yourself to Jesus Christ through engrafting into his body through baptism. If therefore you are a Christian who have put your hope and faith in Christ and are a member in good standing of any gospel-believing church, it doesn't have to be this one, of course, then I declare to you that you're absolved of your sins. You are forgiven, really. You are right with God, and you can be assured of his goodwill towards you throughout your life. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, I want to ask all those who are joining uh, to come forward, together with their family. You can come forward. We have uh, Vaughn and Caitlin Jesse. We're there. We've got uh, Justin Rowe. Are we all here? Vaughn and Caitlin. There we go. And then, of course, uh, we have the Kelly family. You can guys come forward as well. Why don't you all stand right over there? Let's do that. How about that? Just kind of line up right there in front of the music team. That would be wonderful. A growing family indeed. Well, guys, it's great to have you here. I know this is the second week in a row that we've had these, uh, this joining, but it's uh, so wonderful that we could, we could also do this today in this service. And I'm going to start with those who are, are, are coming as adult members. And, uh, of course, you know we've discussed your vows. But uh, before we take these vows, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this great moment where you transact a mystery to us a mystery of engrafting uh, those whom you have chosen 
even before the foundation of this world that you've chosen to be in, with, and through Christ saved. And we pray, Lord, even now that you will transact these vows in a manner wherein not only is Christ glorified, but your people are enlivened and empowered more and more to partake of Christ, their Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you these five vows then. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope save in his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise and humble reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live and become the follower of Christ? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? Amen. And I'd like to welcome you all. Welcome to Christ's Christ. Amen. All right. We're going to let you guys sit down. We're going to pray for you in just a second, but we're going to go forward with the next element of this. But it's great to have you guys with us. By the way, there will be a, a reception cake, I believe. I'm not sure it'll be out there or downstairs after the service, and you'll have a chance to, to greet them as well. All right, so this is exciting, of course. We have Lucas, David, Palmer, Kelly, parents Kate and Patrick Kelly, all here as a family, and it's great to have you guys with us. Are you now prepared to present your child for Christian baptism? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we again thank you for the, this holy ordinance wherein this child is being engrafted into your body and we've heard already that this is not just symbolic but there is a mystery, there is a communion of Christ in heaven with Christ on earth mediated by the body of Christ. And so, Father, we would come and ask that you would transact this holy baptism that you would take that which is ordinary water and it would become the very means of grace in this child's life as this child is raised in your church with all the access to Christ and his means of grace. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. We ask not only that you would witness even these vows of consecration, but that you would be here to transact this very act of your salvation awaiting that confirmation of a profession of faith. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to ask you the following questions as parents. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises in his behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do for your own? Do you now unreservedly consecrate your child to God, and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before him a godly example, that you will pray with and for him, that you will teach him all the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Congregation, as you know, you have a vow to take as well. This child and all children enter into a family, and it's a family that that vows even to assist these parents in raising their children unto the Lord. And, and particularly to remember that what this child needs more than anything 
is to see the faith that they will hear and learn about materialized in the life of a congregation. Now, what I'm not saying is that this child needs to be raised in a congregation that acts like it's got it all together. What I'm not saying is that this is a congregation who who puts on the mask of Sunday and acts holy with the way they wear their clothes and all that kind of other stuff, but aren't real. In other words, I encourage you, I exhort you by the vow you're about to take to be real, to be transparent about your sin in a manner that you can guide and help and lead these children to discern the safety of the gospel by virtue of it being safe here to be a repentant sinner. In other words, it's really simple. The vow you're about to take is to experience the gospel yourselves and to know that as you experience it, you experience it not only on behalf of yourself, but on behalf of our children who are with us. And so with that, I ask you the question, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child to say, if so, say we do. Amen. Amen. By what Christian name, then, do you present this child for Christian baptism? There you go. Yep, yep. Hello. Yeah, give me a smile. Lucas David Palmer Kelly is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that I baptize you and welcome you into the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. There we go. I know it. Amen. There we go. The handoff is always hard. I'm going to let you guys sit down. I'm going to ask an elder now to pray for us and all the members. We're going to sing this song, and I invite you to stand. But as we sing it, I want you to personalize it. But I want you to personalize it not only on behalf of yourself, but on behalf of Lucas and all of our children. I mean, as we sing this song, just for a moment, imagine it's not only your swan song, but it's the children's swan song that they will remember being raised in this church, going off into the world, into that journey of life, that they would one day be able to sing this prayer. This, this song, this prayer is quite a song when you think about it in a personal way. Let's pray. Let's sing. My God is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart. 
stood for the reading of God's word. The Old Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The New Testament reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord.
it's a great joy to be with you. I appreciate all that this church has meant to my son and daughter-in-law, Patrick and Kate, and to their little boys and all it will mean to them. I remember an old lady in South Carolina said to me a long time ago, if someone is a friend to your children, they're automatically your friend. So I feel you're my friends. And I thank the pastor for his kind words of introduction. It's much better introduction than I got at my hometown of Lumberton, North Carolina, when I finished my doctoral studies at University of Edinburgh a long, long time ago. I was crossing the courthouse square, and some old men were sitting and standing by the statue of the Confederate soldier, chewing and spitting tobacco and making comments on everyone that crossed the courthouse square. And one of the men was overheard to say, who's that boy? I was in my 20s, so I looked a lot younger then. He said, that's Dr. Douglas Kelly. He answered, he's not a doctor. Oh, yes, he is. Well, I've never seen him at the hospital. He said he's not that kind of doctor. He's one of them kind of doctors can't do you no good. <laughs> and uh, I've been doing that a long time. Well, blessings upon you. And now, I want to speak on prayer, and I don't know of another passage in the entirety of the Word of God that would be any more clear on how prayer actually works in the real world. On the, as it were, golden highway that there is between the glorious presence of God in heaven and our dirty, nasty, needy lives here on earth. It is not a difficult story to understand. Some parts of the Bible are very complex. But this one is clear enough. Moses and the people of God had not very long before come through the waters of the Red Sea. God told Moses to stretch out his rod, his shepherd's staff. The waters divided and the Israelites went through and then the Egyptians decided to pursue them, and God told Moses, stretch your staff back out, and the waters returned to their strength and drowned Pharaoh's army. And then they were out in the wilderness. It would turn out to be 40 years for various reasons I won't go into. And they seemed to be, in general, in the center of God's will. And then something hit them from behind of a potentially disastrous nature. Let me say this. I don't know what your life circumstances might be right now. Let's say you're Christians, you're believers. And sometimes when you're in the very center of where God wants you to be, at some of your most consecrated moments, the devil... And some of his adversaries will strangely attack you. And when an attack comes upon you, beloved in the Lord, it in no sense means God is displeased with you. Nor does it mean you're not in the center of your Lord's will. 
Often when you're in the place of blessing, you will be hit by these strange occurrences that the human mind is not competent fully to understand. So there it was, the people of Israel following Moses and the captain of the host, Joshua, were out in the wilderness minding their business, quote, doing fine. God is providing the heavenly manna. All seems to be well. Sometimes he sent water out of a rock and so forth. He was providing for his people as he is providing for you. And then suddenly, a very hostile, warlike tribe attacked them from behind and first started trying to mow down the elderly and the weak in the back of the ranks. They were being attacked by the Amalekites. I could take you through scripture. They're often mentioned. We don't know exactly why they so hated Israel. Apparently they hated Israel's God. And they wanted to kill the witness of God anywhere near their territory. We know that this hereditary hostility between Amalekite and Israelite endured a long time. Indeed, the book of Esther Many, many centuries later, the wicked man Haman, who organized a pogrom against the Jews, he was said to be an Agagite, and the Agagites were direct descendants of the children of Amalek, so therefore this hatred carried on a very long time, and eventually... As the text says in Exodus 17, their memory was wiped out. But for a good while, they were there. So the next morning, after they were being attacked, the people of God had to gather together and fight. And they were in a long, I I perceive it to be something like a valley, ringed with hills. I've sometimes uh, maybe presumptively thought it was sort of like a huge football stadium, maybe like the Harvard-Yale game or what have you. And the children of Israel were on, on one end of the huge field and the Amalekites were on the other end. But there was a secret weapon unknown to the Amalekites. And that secret, mostly invisible weapon would determine how things worked out in that vicious attack against God's people. It was the weapon of what Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6, the weapon of all prayer. Because Moses, Aaron and her went up as it were, to the press box up to the top of the hill where they could clearly perceive what was going on in the battle below. And they knew prayer would be needed. Let me tell you one of the reasons. The Amalekites gave what, to use anachronistic terminology, would be uh, their gross national product, most of it, to weaponry 
They were well-trained soldiers, excellent fighters, and they had uh, a lot of military equipment that a group of former slaves, even though there were about a million of them, didn't have much, uh, much military weaponry. You do not arm your slaves for obvious reasons. Josephus, the great Jewish historian who was living at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, says in his amazing book, The History of the Jews, that the only weapons that the Jews had at this stage of their career were the weapons that washed up on the seashore when Pharaoh's army was drowned. And so the children of Israel went down to the beach and picked up arrows and bows and swords and shields and whatever they could get. That was their weaponry. They were not nearly so well equipped as the Amalekites. And I don't know how many Amalekites there were, but it was a considerable number. Humanly speaking, much stronger. It does seem to me, and I'm well past 70 now, that very often God lets much stronger enemies come out against us. Circumstances that we know we cannot handle. And we might wonder, why has the Lord done this? To me, his beloved child, that I am facing enemies that are too big, too rough, too mean, and probably they could outsmart me every inch of the way. Well, I can't say all the reasons, but I know one of them is this. To make us do what Psalm 121 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. God gets us in various situations and literally all we can do is look up and remember, oh yes, God exists. He's my covenant God and he said I could talk to him and bring this situation to him and that he would intervene. And so, the battle was joined. Let me say this. The children of Israel had to get out there and fight. God does not let you accomplish anything for him in general unless you put out the best efforts of your minds and bodies and personalities and circumstances and use to the fullest what he has made available for you. You've got to fight. You've got to join the battle. You've got at times to be willing to go into places of danger. A good prayer is not, Lord, keep me from having to fight. Keep me from having to struggle. It's not really a valid prayer. But it's, Lord... I will join this fight if you will be with me. If you will send down, to use the phrase from the psalm, strength from the sanctuary, I'm yours. 
and I leave the outcome to you. So Moses, Aaron, and Hur were watching this battle down below. And so Moses was interceding for the children of Israel for the soldiers down on the field. And he had his hands lifted up. I reckon it's something like, lift up your hearts unto the Lord, Sursum Korda. The help comes down from God. I'm going to trust in you, Lord, to send down the strength and the ability and the know-how and the supernatural protection on these your people. And as long as Moses was holding up his hands in this attitude of intercession in the name of the Lord, the children of Israel were doing an amazing thing. They were defeating a much stronger enemy than they. Moses was human like the rest of us. His arms got tired and he lowered them to rest a little bit. And instantly he perceived the situation. The moment he lowered his hands and arms to rest, the tide of the battle reversed. The Amalekites seemed to receive new strength and pushed forward and began killing the troops of God. Moses instantly perceived the situation. He knew he was going to need to keep his arms up, bringing down the strength of God by grace from the sanctuary. And so his brother said, here's a stone, you come sit on it, and one of us will stand on one side and hold up one arm, and the other will stand on the other side and hold up the other arm, and we will do this until the battle be won. And so it was the whole day they held up the arms of Moses, and the supernatural weapon was kicking in the whole time, and the power of God came down and defeated a much stronger, maybe more clever enemy, though not clever spiritually. And the Amalekites were massively defeated. I sometimes wonder, I travel around the world a good bit, preaching and conference speaking and take questions and talk to people personally and I've sometimes wondered why so often churches that are Bible-believing don't seem to pray much. I'm not sure about that. I've wondered if it's not our educational system. I mean, I come out of the same educational system that you do some of the best schools, which means we have some of the worst attitudes. I certainly have had to fight that uh, all my life. And I think there's a lingering influence in our Western culture. It's true in Britain. It's true in France, Germany, maybe worse than here, although that's saying a lot, and it's true here, of deism. It's not science. No problem with science. Ultimately, early modern science comes out of Christianity, which is another issue. It is a philosophy that says, yes, there's a God, but he's remote, he's upstairs, and there's a, there's a major dichotomy, a major dualism 
God is up there and he cannot intervene and come down here. We have to run the world on our own. And it's verging perhaps on the fanatical to think that God is going to directly intervene and answer to the prayers of a human being, even in the name of Christ. And so therefore, I think some churches, I wouldn't be the judge of them all, but a good many don't expect anything to happen that would require God or his intervention because they don't want to be thought uneducated or backward or fanatical as though God actually intervenes in this world. Let me tell you something. This is God's world. He made it. He controls it. His hand is always upon it. And he has ordained prayer as the one of the chief ways, prayer based on the word in the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the way he intervenes in most cases to determine the future. I want to say this. You say, what, what is the future? I don't know. I know the final future. Christ returns victorious. I can't make predictions as to between now and then, but I believe this. Much of your future, much of any church's future is going to depend directly on how much you're praying and what you're praying in the name of Jesus and what your faith is expecting on the basis of the word for God to do. I do believe this, that Jesus meant it when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, the daily prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about that. I could give you a lecture on the will of God. I won't do that. Just think about it. Jesus is saying that the sovereign, mighty, gracious, powerful will of God is at least partly going to be brought to pass as his people say, Our Father, thy will be done. You say, God doesn't need anybody. I know he doesn't. God doesn't need our help. I know he doesn't. But a personal God has ordained personal means so that his people will relate to him directly through prayer. And as they're praying, his gracious, powerful, sometimes judging will is going to be brought to pass even through their prayers. And the devil will say, he'll be saying this morning, this man is taking it too far. Don't take it seriously. Wait a minute. Jesus teaches clearly that God delights to answer prayer in his name. And Paul, that we are to pray without ceasing. And so therefore, the church's way forward is always, figuratively speaking at least, on her knees. And it was prayer that won that battle in ancient times. I don't know, roughly 3,500 B.C., something like that. You might say, okay, we believe the Bible, we accept that, but that's a long time ago. How about it in the world we live in? 
Well, I can give you an illustration of an amazing thing that happened, although you would generally not have gotten word of it from the, most of the Western papers when the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, which I will remember. And I was sent um, papers from French-speaking Switzerland and also some from Germany that reported one of the major factors in the coming down of the Berlin Wall that I never saw in any of the American papers. Now, maybe it was there and I didn't see it. That, that's possible. But I got my information from Switzerland and Germany itself. And later I checked with German friends. Was it true? And they said, absolutely so. We know that the Berlin Wall was torn down basically without any bloodshed, an amazing thing in 1989. You know, it was an economic failure of Marxism and, and, and all those factors that are very important. But there's one generally unreported factor that helped bring down that wall. It was massive prayer meetings. It started in the old university city of Leipzig where Johann Sebastian Bach wrote some of his most wonderful music when he was Koppelmeister there. And the large Lutheran church, the teenagers started the prayer meeting. It was so depressing and so awful and nobody could do anything. There was no hope for East Germany as it was then. So the teenagers, not just the Lutheran, but Reformed and Catholic and others, came, and then the parents got a little bit embarrassed, and they came, and the grandparents, it, it filled up the church, spilled out onto the town square. I didn't look this up, I can't remember for certain, but four or five nights a week, they were praying every night, thousands, that God would bring changes to Germany as it was then, beyond human hope. If you're beyond human hope, don't despair something you can do. There's an invisible weapon you can take up. So word spread to East Berlin and the major church there filled up the same way it started with the teenagers, parents, grandparents, all denominations. And it spilled out into the town square, if I remember correctly. Some of my German friends said over 10,000, four or five nights a week, were praying. The East German government, Honecker was out, and I forgot the name of the man who was in running it, but they became very disturbed they were being prayed about. They taught in the schools, there's not a God but they got very worried when they found out those many people were praying against what that government was doing. And then they made a decision which turned out to be a fatal decision for that government's continuance. They surrounded the prayer meeting with troops not with rubber bullets, not with fire hoses, not with dogs, but with live ammunition. 
from the army. But the great mistake they made was they called out East German troops to surround the prayer meeting. It so happened that the East German troops, their brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grandparents, nieces and nephews were in the prayer meeting. Also, they knew it's not a capital crime to pray whether or not you believe in it. And so the head of the army gave the militia the order to fire and start shooting down the prayer meeting of some 10,000. And the troops absolutely, immediately refused to obey. You don't have to have a PhD in political science to know that if a totalitarian government is not obeyed by its army, it's over. And later that very night, they started tearing down the Berlin Wall, which may have been the biggest thing that's happened since the conclusion of World War II in 1945. Now, that was based on prayer. Yes, it was the Marxism. Yes, there were all the political machinations behind it, of course. And I understand they checked with Gorbachev and he agreed that the Russians would not intervene. But it was prayer that accomplished maybe the biggest thing since the ending of Second World War. I want to tell you, this weapon is ever fresh, ever new, ever powerful. All it needs is for you to pick it up. You have to get down on your knees and humble yourself to pick it up and use it. And God will do great and mighty things. And then we know who gets the credit. Now, I know how the human mind works, and we might say, yes, uh, Joshua and the Israelite host down on that field had an advantage over us. They had Moses, Aaron, and her interceding for them up on the hill, as it were, as my mother used to say, blow by blow. We don't have that. No, I want to challenge you. You've got something far better than Moses, Aaron, and her. And I honor them greatly this morning. You have got the great high priest seated on his throne, fully equal to the eternal father. And... The epistle of the Hebrews says, He ever liveth to make intercession for his saints. Our Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us. And as Isaiah says, he is waiting to be gracious. And the devil says to each one of us, You're not worthy to be praying. Your prayers cannot be answered. You know what you did the past week or so, you know what you thought, you know what you didn't do, you know how unworthy you are. That's true enough. 
of all of us. But we don't pray in our own name. Never have. Our name is not our flag, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes everything different. I remember an old preacher in Edinburgh, Reverend James Phillips, saying that when we're praying in the name of Jesus, the Father hears the tones of his Son break through our prayers and cannot but move. It's a hymn, a sovereign protector I have, unseen yet forever at hand, almighty and able to save, almighty to rule and command. He speaks and my comforts abound. His grace as the dew shall descend and walls of salvation surround the soul he delights to defend. Jesus is praying for us. That's why your prayers will work. The devil says you're too unworthy. Tell him he's only told the half-truth. You know you're unworthy. At the best. But you're coming in his name. You're standing in his person. You're united to him in faith. In his death, you died to your sins. The devil cannot do anything with them, though he'd like you to think he could. In his resurrection, you were raised with him into newness of life and in that holy co-crucifixion and co-resurrection, you're standing in Christ and exercising in your own humble capacity and yet a powerful capacity his reign through prayer. And so I call on us all to remember we face a battle, different kind of battles you'll go home to today. I don't know what they are. Different challenges. But we don't fight alone. We fight in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the major instrument he's given is a hidden one. You have to humble yourself kneel down and pick it up. It is a weapon of all prayer. I can understand the world doesn't make any sense of this. Naturally, they're not going to put on the front page, even if you had a prayer meeting with thousands of people attending on a Wednesday night or whenever it was, doesn't matter. Wouldn't be in the paper. They don't think it's important. I, I accept that. Why, why would they understand? What I don't accept is when the church doesn't think it's important when we don't seek the face of God together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will do great and mighty things. You know, Jeremiah 33.3, I conclude with this. Call unto me, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen.
leaders to come forward and begin to collect our our giving as we bring our lives to this table and procession into his presence. But about this thing we call prayer, (laughs) do I need to say more? Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Very, very important reminder. And, you know, I, I would expect right now that every one of you are getting a card right now. We'll probably have about 250 cards in the plate this morning because I think we've been reminded of something we really do need to be reminded of. And and I want to encourage you right now. Uh, go ahead. Be, be, be coming forward, please. Um, I want to remind you right now to uh, um, really take use of the system that we do have here. There are prayer groups that meet throughout the week. Um, and if you will use that card that's right there in front of you and just put down, please pray. You can make it short. Uh, you don't have to write a paragraph or anything like that. But let us know how we can pray for you. And we've been reminded today that that prayer really is the means of God's power coming into our lives. And uh, the great power that once saved Israel can save us as well. So I encourage you to do that really. And uh, we'll take a few open prayers right now if, 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 you, if we'd like to do that as well. If there's something pressing in, in your heart or mind, let's, let's make sure we say that. I, I do think I want to um, mention, we're going to talk about it a little later, but, but I do want to mention the fact that uh, as we enter into this Christmas season, I hope that you're praying, very seriously praying, about individual human beings, your friends, your family, your neighbors, that you want to bring to Christ through even a service here at this church or some other event. But be praying about those people right now. We pray for this great Christmas uh, uh, store that we, we do over in the hill and the opportunities we have to bring gifts and let those gifts empower the hill community both in an empowerment to work, but also an empowerment to provide for their kids. So be praying for this season. Any other prayers that that need to be prayed for publicly? All right, I'm going to ask an elder to go ahead and pray for us. Make sure you get those cards and put them in the back. All right, let's pray together. Almighty, gracious God, we acknowledge anew this morning your great power. We thank you for your redeeming love how we see in your majesty and beauty and the works of nature around us. And we also see in your scriptures and through your incarnate word, Jesus, that you are a God of relationship, a God of redemption. We, your people, celebrate anew that you have overcome our rebellion, that you have restored our relationship with you, that you are our heavenly father through the work of Christ, your son. And so God, be turn to you now in prayer because you have made it safe for us to come and you desire us to come welcoming us even as children into your loving arms how we delight to be in your presence and we know that with you we are safe despite all the dangers that are around us and the fears that are within us god you know our needs you know our weaknesses you know our grief You know our anxieties. You know our struggles with sin. You know all of these details far better than we even know ourselves. So even now, in in silence, we lift these burdens to you. They are too heavy for us to bear. But we know that you are strong.
Father, we believe, if only through the eyes of faith, and we see, if only through a glass dimly, that your kingdom is indeed coming, despite what we might see. Help us to trust in you, to rest in you, knowing that you will accomplish your purposes for us, that you will turn even evil into good, for you have conquered even sin and death. God, as we pray regularly for our members, uh, we, we thank you for the opportunity to pray this morning for Eve Britton. We thank you for her. We thank you for bringing her to us, for how you've worked in her life. We thank you that she thanks you for this community of faith and place of healing and of hope and of nurture and strength and encouragement for her. We pray for uh, just resolution for ongoing health concerns, that you would give her peace as she awaits medical tests, results. Pray for ongoing wisdom in the sermon as she seeks opportunities for work and full-time employment. Encourage her, and we thank you for her. God, as well, we pray for your, all your church gathered here and throughout the world. We, we know that we share one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We pray for all ministers and lay leaders and teachers that they would serve in the power and joy of the Spirit. Protect them from temptation, increasing them a love for Christ and your people. Feed them even as they feed your flock. We pray for ministries of our denomination. We think of the PCA Retirement and Benefits Committee. We thank you for their labors on behalf of your church and of your servants. We pray for the Heights Presbyterian Church in Shaker Heights, Ohio, and, and pray that you encourage them as they seek to plant a church in that a greater Cleveland area. God, we pray as well for all the world around us, for all who suffer in body, mind, and spirit. We pray for civil authorities that they would promote justice and peace with a due sense that their authority comes from you. Help us to see the needs of those around us. Empower us to love them in word and deed and point them to Christ, the ultimate source of our hope and joy and peace. God, we thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you hear us, that you do not tire to hear from your children. And we thank you that we have a great high priest your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we sing to God, as we bring our lives uh, to the Lord at his table. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here be. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Indeed, we've been exhorted not to believe in a deist God, but a God that is in the midst of us. And there's no place more pure, more real, than this real presence of Christ in the space and the place among the people of this local church at this point in time, as with any other local church, wherein the gospel is proclaimed. And we most especially celebrate that as we think about this table, how it is that that Christ not only asked us to remember him, and particularly his death, that we might be reminded again of the exhilarating grace of the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith alone, not of ourselves, but as a free gift of God, based on this work of Christ on the cross to make atonement for our sins. Not only are we to remember that, but we're also to remember that he is with us, present, enlivening us by his spirit. Even as this meal transacts a mystic communion between Christ and heaven and the body of Christ on earth. And so let us remember, even the night in which Christ was to be betrayed, that set a sequence of events that would lead to the cross, how it was that Christ took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, how the Lord took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which was shed for many. For the forgiveness of sins, drink ye all of it. Again, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. And so, Father, we pray even now that your spirit would come, that you would mediate to us by the Holy Spirit this, this sacred and mystical communion that we enjoy with Christ who is in heaven, interceding for us even now, offering his very life and blood on our behalf, We pray in his name. We live in his name. We persevere in his name. And even now we pray for the faith of perseverance in these days. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Elders. This meal is for those who have put their hope and faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and have joined themselves to a gospel-believing church. And if for some reason you're not prepared at this time to partake, then I want to encourage you that you're here, and we're glad you're here. And we don't ask you to uh, put on a show or act like you're spiritual. Please don't do that. We respect your conscience as you would want to respect your conscience. But we do hope and pray that you'll notice the prayers that are listed here in the bulletin. I believe they're on page uh, well, sorry, we don't, uh, 13, if you'd like to look at those. And as you look at those, they are prayers that I think will enable you Uh, as someone who may not at this time be a Christian, have integrity to pray. God, if there is a God, would you? And I encourage you to look at those prayers now. We're glad you're here. We anticipate you're being here. And if you have questions, please take the time. Have a coffee with one of us. And let's let's engage these issues. Because this is truly a matter of life and death eternally.
The Lord is with us. Let us now eat together, the body of Christ. I invite you to stand now as we exalt our great King, Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving that even Jesus Christ, one you have decreed to be our king forever and ever, is a worthy king, one not only great with power, but also great with mercy, one that is not only transcendent above all things, ruler of heaven and earth, but one that is even in the midst of us, even in the 
very messiness of our lives. We praise you for this, our great King. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And now may peace to the whole world, the whole community, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Just for a short moment, could you be seated? And again, I want to welcome every one of you, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, I do hope you'll take seriously the invitation I gave you earlier. If, if you do want to talk with someone about a prayer concern, or if you would like uh, just to uh, talk more about really what it means to be a Christian and what, what the Christian spirituality is all about, uh, then let